Well, we are back on Hebrews chapter 12, and I took a look back into uh, when we were last in Hebrews chapter 12. And because of the Christmas uh, break, and then a couple of other things, and then, of course, a little detour on Job, that was back mid-December. <laughs> so I thought we might have uh, forgotten a little bit about what we had going over and all that. So just to keep it in the context... We'll just uh, go over a few of the things from Do Not Despise the Chastening of the Lord. We know that Satan wants to get us into a wrong path. He wants to get you into wrong thinking. He wants, he wants there to be action for the purpose of putting us in a position to steal what God has given us. Those are the goals that he has. But God will chasten us. He will bring us back to the path that we're supposed to be on, a path in which the enemy cannot accomplish that purpose of stealing from us, of getting into wrong thinking. So when that chastisement comes, the writer says, don't despise it. The word there, despise, means to have little regard for or to disesteem or despise. And so we made a note of how do we despise God's chastening? Well, first off, we can forget it. We can take what God has said and just just forget it. Just not uh, not pay attention to it. Second way is we can regard other things more. So we give it regard, but not as much as other things that are in our life. Third, we judge it. We decide, well, I don't think God means, or though God said this, I think He really meant, and we we put a we pass a judgment upon it. And the last one is pro, is to procrastinate. We just keep putting off doing whatever God said to do. So I say that I have regard for it, but I keep putting it off. I know God said to do that. I know God told me that I need to, but we don't do it. We procrastinate it. These are ways that we despise the chastening of the Lord. So don't forget it. Don't regard it poorly. Don't put other things above it. Don't judge it. Whatever God said, do what He said. And don't procrastinate. He then picks up here in verse 12 of Hebrews, the 12th chapter. He says, therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Now, this is a pretty famous verse. It's very similar also to one in Isaiah, and we'll read that here in a little bit. But therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Therefore, of course, is going back to something. It goes back to verse 1. Since we are surrounded, we've got, we got a group of people that are surrounding us. He says, look unto Jesus who endured the cross. That's in verse 2. In verse 3, he said, Jesus who endured such hostility from sinners. And in verse 7, if you endure chastening. And in verse 11, chasten, chastening seems grievous at the time. But afterwards, oh, it's good. So with these things in mind, therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. So, through all this we become weary, discouraged, fearful, or confused. Through all the stuff that he's described in here, we become, we can become weary. We can become discouraged, even fearful or confused. We can get discouraged because of sin. He talked about the sin that so easily ensnares us. Well, that can, that can be discouraging to be carrying that around or to keep falling into those particular things. It can also get you worn down, get you weary. <clears throat> he talked about a, a race then needs endurance. As we keep pushing in that race, and the race is hard, it can discourage you. 
You can say, oh, I don't, th- I don't think I can finish this race. I don't think I can keep pushing on. There can be shame from accusers because he talked about the shame that Jesus was put through. He despised the shame. But there's shame from accusers. That can be discouraging to us. We can have a, uh, we can be thinking something we shouldn't when we are chastened. So when the chastening comes, I could be thinking something that I shouldn't be thinking about that. And, uh, and thereby become discouraged. Well, I guess God doesn't love me. I guess God doesn't care for me. Why does God do this to me? And these kind of things can help discourage. We can become fearful because of the hostility that comes. Hostility comes from the world. The world throws it our way. And we can become fearful because of that hostility that they have. Oh, I don't know if I want to stand up for this. I don't know if I want to do this. I don't know if I want to follow this because the world's going to come after me. Or any other, any other thing that causes fear. And we can become confused by not understanding what chastening from the Lord is or His purpose. That's why we spent some weeks on that. Because sometimes people think that what the devil comes to steal is chastening of the Lord. And we have to make sure that we keep it clear because and he does the, the uh, relation, the relationship between human parents. He says, you as earthly fathers know how to, how to uh, discipline with benefit, but you're limited. But the Father God is not limited. He has a much better scope of things. And so when he comes and he, he uh, chastens us, he doesn't do things that would harm us. It's not like a, a parent says, well, I told you to stay out of the street, so I hope a car comes and runs over. We wouldn't do that as parents. And God doesn't do it to us. He doesn't send cars to run us over and cause us injury. He doesn't send sickness our way. He's, he sent Jesus to redeem us from sickness. He does not send sickness our way to, to teach us a lesson. But if we don't know that about the Father, then the devil can sell us on the fact that sickness and disease is the chastening of the Lord. That some injury we picked up is because God's teaching us a lesson. So we have to know what this is. Job had all these things stolen from him. And we can think, well, that's God's purpose. That was God's will. That was God's chastening or whatever it might be. But no, it's not. God is not going to use the thief to accomplish his will. He's going to try and pull you out of that. Now, that's why we spent a a whole week just on, on Job just looking at what he did to put himself in the pathway for the, for, for the devil to become able to steal. Remember the Word of God says in the New Testament, he seeks about those whom he may devour. He can't devour everybody. So don't put yourself in a place to be devoured. If we start wandering out into a place where we can be devoured, the chastening of the Lord comes along and tries to steer us back in. We've got to yield to it. We've got to pay attention to it. If I don't regard that chastening... I'm going to be out in the path where the devil can, can steal, can, can kill, and can destroy. But God's trying to pull us out of that. He's chasing us because he loves us. I want you to get out of this path. I want you to get away from this, what he can do. Move out. So we can get confused by not understanding what chasing from the Lord is or its purpose. But as long as we're not confused on that, then the devil can't sell us on anything that, well, this is just a chasing of the Lord. It's actually his hand. And so then we'll accept it. What comes from his hand because we don't understand. So don't let the confusion come in. Now when he says here the hands that, that hang down, this is actually uh, almost uh, word for word. Of course, this one's in Hebrew and Hebrews is in Greek. But in Isaiah 35, I'm going to begin reading at verse 3 and going through 6. Strengthen the weak hands and make the feeble knees and make firm the, the, knee, the feeble knees. So it sounds just almost exactly like a we have there in Hebrews, 
then perhaps it's something that he was going after. Say to those who are fearful, or say, say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with a vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For water shall burst forth in the wilderness, and streams in the deserts. So that seems to be where he came from. The word there for feeble in the Greek is used a few other times. And every other time that this is used in the Greek New Testament, we'll see that in Luke chapter 5, verse 18, verse 24, and Acts chapter 8, verse 7, and Acts chapter 9, verse 33. These are the other times this particular word is used. It means paralyzed, sick, or taken with palsy. It's talking about a form of paralysis. So when he says, and, and here with the, with the feeble, let's read that verse again. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. So the picture is someone whose arms are hanging down because there's no strength to pull them up. And knees that are feeble, that are basically is speaking of a condition of paralysis. A condition of which you can't walk and move the way that you normally would. But he says strengthen. The reason people who are paralysis uh, there's there's things that are weak, the things that are not strong the way that they're supposed to be. Uh, the brain doesn't have control over over those areas, whatever it might be. Now, when you get in this condition, you got weak knees or immovable knees and arms that just kind of hang down. Well, you can't run a race very well. And the whole thing that Hebrew was talking about here was running our race. You're not going to be able to run that race very well. Now, this is a condition that the enemy wants us to be in. He wants us to be in a condition where we cannot run the race. So he's going to send things our way to cause us to be discouraged, to cause us to be confused, to cause us to be weary, and to cause us to be fearful. Because if he can get these conditions going on on the inside of us, then he will get us to be in a place of paralysis, and we won't be able to run the race. And if we don't run the race, we won't reach the prize. So this is what he's, he's looking to do. Now let's go into verse 13. And make straight paths for your, for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. So he says, make straight paths. Now first off, you were supposed to do the strengthening, and here you're supposed to be doing the straight paths. So just as in the strengthening, it's up to us to straighten our paths. But we want God to straighten them. Now when it says here, make straight paths, uh, it's not in the sense of not crooked. That's not the idea here, but more general in the sense of right or plain. According to Weiss, that's Weiss's notes that he has in it. So make the course clear. Get rid of some of the obstacles that are in there, is what he's, he's talking about. So make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not, may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. You see, if we let those distractions come in, if we let that fear come in, if we let that discouragement come in, if we let that weariness come in or that confusion come in, we're not making the straight path that we're supposed to be making. We're not making the direct path. We're not going after the thing that God says, well, i got to go around here or i got to turn over in this way or go this particular direction or do something here. Now, he goes on to stay here and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. Now that might be kind of hard to understand. I did some uh, um, 
spend some time on this to try and figure out each of these particular words. That what is lame may not be dis- dislocated basically means to be made worse by the path of the obstacles. What is lame may not be dislocated. So what he's talking about is what has been made weak. What is lame, what is has some paralysis in it, as you are walking along the path and you hit some of the obstacles, that there can be a tendency for, for something that is hurt to get hurt more. Now think about it this way. Have you ever had it where you were... Uh, now we had this when we were running a lot, but you may have it when you're even just walking. Have you ever had your ankle just suddenly roll on you? Now once you do that, depending upon how severe you rolled it, it it'll hurt, and it it becomes more sensitive to giving out when you hit another obstacle. Now we would have this sometimes when we're running. If you are not watching the path as clearly as you should, and you hit a particular rock that was large enough to dislodge. Your, your foot, and you didn't respond quick enough, well, suddenly, you, it just seemed like you just roll right over, and instead of landing on the bottom of your foot or standing on the bottom of your foot, you're standing on the side. And your foot's not made to take that. And, of course, when you come down and you're running, you got a little bit more force than when you're walking, when you, you hit that. And, you know, it can, it can really do some, some harm. Well, I remember sometimes doing this during a race. And you hit that, and then all of a sudden, and that's weak. That's weak. And you feel it every time that you keep on going. And now you've got to be focused on that more. But if, if you're not focused and you hit something that's not, that's not good, well, that ankle is a little bit more, turn, a little bit more prone to, to turn again. So it's, it's that type of a situation. That once you've hurt it, now you can seems like you can hurt it even easier. Because you've already, it's already injured. It's already hurt. So this is what he's referring to. You're, you're taking your walk, which is already lame... And you're not making your path straight. You're not going along the right way. You're letting obstacles be in your path. And now those obstacles are taking what was lame and making it fully injured. So let's read that again. And make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. So in other words, take what has been weakened, take what has been, what is lame, Get rid of the obstacles that are in the way. Do what God has said to do. Respond to His chastening. And you will see that what has been weakened will become strengthened. Now, He's speaking about all this as far as your walk with the Lord is concerned. Remember, the purpose of the book is to take people who were Jews, who had followed after Jesus, who had become discouraged in following after Jesus because of the persecution they were getting, and were feeling a tendency to go back to the law just to get rid of the persecution. And then he says, that's an obstacle. That shouldn't be there. Get rid of that obstacle in your life. You don't be going back to that. You become weakened in your walk with the Lord. Now get rid of all the obstacles that are in your way. Renew yourself on following after Jesus. In the way of Jesus. Don't go back to the law. And don't be weak anymore, but be healed. That's the type of healing that he's talking about. So it makes straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. The things that we allow in our life can have a crippling effect upon our walk. And this is what we have to be careful of. That's what he's teaching you. If he's telling you to make your path straight, then it's up to me to make the path straight. It's not up to someone else. It's not up to God. 
God's not the one who has to, has to be making the path straight. He's not the one who has to be making the way in a, in a, in a correct way to go. I've got to do it. I can't sit there and say, pray, Oh Lord, please get all these obstacles out of my way. Because he's teaching right here, no, 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 that's not how we do it. The things that we allow in our life, they will have a crippling effect upon your walk. Now you can pray all you want to. Oh God, oh make this go away. Oh God, make this be better. You can do that all that you want to. But he doesn't say to pray about this. He says, do it. He said, make the path straight. Make it so that the obstacles are not there. Get rid of them. Now I put a, I did my own translation on this. You won't find this if you go up there on the internet. So you can uh, just, just sort of sit back and listen. I tried to put it in your outline, but there was just no room for it. So it's one of the things that went out. But I put it this way. You have become lame in your Christian walk. Now get rid of the obstacles in front of you, the things of the law that would make your condition worse. Pursue Jesus with all you have and be healed. That's the idea of what he's trying to get at. Weiss translates it this way. And be making smooth paths for your feet in order that that which is limping may not be wrenched out of joint, but rather that it be healed. So you get the idea of what he's talking about. In verse 14, he says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now, before we just take a look at our whole big general idea, and of course it is a good idea to pursue peace with all people, remember his context. Who's he talking about these folks not having peace with? The people who want to bring them over to the way of the Jews. The, 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 uh, the way of the law. That generally people who have that kind of a conviction are not happy unless they bring everybody over there. You know, it's kind of like uh, vegetarians. Vegetarians are not content with you eating meat and then eating vegetables. No, you have to eat vegetables too. Whereas if you have people who like meat, they don't care what you eat. If you don't eat meat, that's fine. That's more for me. That's that's generally the viewpoint of someone who likes to eat meat. But somebody who's a vegan, I don't know why anybody does that, but there's people who do that. And, uh, and then people that are vegetarians. Well, if you want to be a vegetarian, that's great. That's all fine. That you just eat vegetables. Of course, we know what the Word of God says about that. <laughs> Word of God's in the meat. <laughs> but if, you, if that's your decision, if you decide that I, I don't want to have meat in my, in my diet and I just want to have vegetables, well, then just be content with keeping your diet in the area of vegetables. Why do you have to be so aggressive? No, but these people have to get out there and they want to pass laws that people ought not to have that. Over in New York, they uh, they got so passionate about it that they decided to pass laws that no one should have a soda bigger than, what was it, 16 ounces? It's actually a law. You could not buy a soda, which, which meant all refills were out the window. You can't go to a New York, I don't know if it's just New York City, if it's New York State, I think it's New York City. I think it was the mayor, not the, the governor of the state who have passed that, but I could be wrong with that. But it was somewhere up there in New York, and they decided that um, that nobody should need that much soda. And so they actually regu- regulated that. <laughs> now, I don't know if Diet Coke was included, because it was it was sugary ones. They were trying to keep the sugar out of out of that, so I don't know if they somehow, you know, backdoored it all, all in there. But if you went up to New York, and you sat down, and you wanted to have a, 
a nice uh, beverage, uh, you better hope there's no sugar in it because they can only have so much. Now, I'd be in trouble because I make that waiter go back and forth quite a few times. And it's, uh, it's a whole lot more than 16 ounces. But uh, that's what these, these people want to do. They, they like to do that. So he says, pursue peace with all people. There's people out there that they decided, I'm not going to believe in Jesus. I'm going to stay with the law. And they're not content with that. No, no. You have to stay with the law too. Now, if people that believe in Jesus, they come over and say, hey, I'd like you to believe in Jesus too. If you say no, you don't want to do it. Well, they didn't try and pass any laws that say you have to believe in Jesus. They didn't try and point a gun at you and say you have to believe in Jesus now. Because you can tell what side is, uh, God, God is on. When the enemy is on a side, then they generally use force. That should tell you a whole lot of things. Pursue peace with all people. So he's saying pursue peace with all people. These people that are coming after you, trying to, to forcibly convert you, well, pursue peace with them. Now, just because it says pursue peace doesn't mean that peace would be, a, be possible. There's some people that just, they don't, they don't want to be peaceful. They're not going to it at all. Now, I put in your outline, follow. I should have put pursue. At the time, I was looking at the King James Bible because I was looking at the, the thing that, that um, was pulled over the, the Greek word. And I forgot that the New King James translated that different. So, follow is the King James word. Pursue is the New King James word. But it all comes from the same Greek word, which means to run swiftly so as to catch some person or thing. So, the idea is that you find somebody and you run swiftly so as to catch them. So if you're playing a game, remember you were a kid and you played tag and if you wanted to get somebody to be it and you were it and you wanted to get somebody else to be it, well, you had to pursue somebody. You had to pick somebody in the group and then you'd have to pursue them to, uh, to go after there and get them. And you hopefully pick somebody who was slower than you were. <laughs> but either way, you'd have to run fast and you have to take off and get going. So run swiftly so as to catch some person or thing and to pursue or seek after eagerly. And so the, the whole time you're playing that game, I mean, that's your focus, isn't it? We need to get over there and catch that. I play this with my grandkids. We play, uh, we play uh, uh, my granddaughter calls it run and chase. <laughs> Doesn't call it tag. She calls it run and chase. I think now she's starting to change over that. that uh, been at the school, they call it tag. So I think she's starting to change that over. But when we play that, you know, the whole focus, all you're trying to do is, is run out there and catch the other person. And uh, once in a while, I, I get far enough ahead that uh, I'd hide. And then I'd just like to jump out and, and scare them. We'd have fun with that. But the whole time you're, you're, you're going, the pursuit is, where is the one that I'm trying to find? That's what this word is. Follow or pursue to run swiftly so as to catch some person or thing to pursue or to seek after eagerly. Pursue peace with all people. So he's saying, these folks that are coming after you, well, pursue peace with them. Now, you can, you'd be doing good to pursue peace with all the people that are in your life. It is a shame that people in the body of Christ are not at peace with one another. The Word of God is telling you that as much as depends on you, you pursue peace with them. If you've got people in the body of Christ and you're saying, well, I just don't like that person, and every time that you get near that person, you have bad feelings, you're not pursuing peace. Because if you're to pursue peace, you seek it at all cost. Pursue peace with all people and holiness. And holiness. 
Now, the kind of holiness he's talking about here is not just absent of all sin. It is not just the holiness that says, uh, all my actions are great. He's talking about the law versus Jesus. So the holiness that he has in mind here is the holiness that we obtain through Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. That's what we're pursuing. If you were going to pursue that kind of holiness, how do you pursue it? If you're going to go after that particular type of holiness, you go after it through Jesus Christ and the work he did on the cross, not through the law, which is what he's been getting after him for the whole thing. Don't go back to the law. Don't go be doing it, uh, going after the law to get it done that way. So holiness, not that which comes through the law, but that which comes through Christ. That's what the, that's the kind we want to get after. Now there's people that have fallen away that they had, had been around. These people that he's writing to, they're still following after Jesus. But they already know people that were once in their group who followed after Jesus and have already given in to the pressure and fallen away. He's telling them, pursue peace with those people. Now some of those folks are content to just be falling away themselves, but some of them, no, no, i got to bring you with me. But he doesn't distinguish between those two groups. He says, pursue peace with them. Now if we look at the life of Paul, Paul, when he ran into these, these people, the first thing that Paul did when he came into a city... He went into the synagogue. He pursued peace with these people. These Jews. He pursued peace with them. And we notice a lot of times that he would come into the city and many of the Jews would believe. And then people from another city would come over and they'd stir them up. And then Paul would, would leave the synagogue and he'd go out and to preach to the Gentiles. That's how, that was his way of doing things. He did it a number of different times. But you'll see that Paul's attitude to these people who just were disruptors, he wasn't pursuing peace with them because they had shown they weren't peaceable. Now, he did initially. He tried to have, make peace with these people, uh, Judaizers, I think as they, they called them. He tried to make peace with them, but they refused it. And they just became aggressive. Well, there comes a point where you have to just realize we're not going to be able to make peace here. These people are against the things of God. But you got people in the body of Christ, they're not against the things of God. Be making peace with them. Pursue it. Don't just let it sit there. Go after it with everything that you got. Pursue peace with all people. He said all people, he didn't just say believers. Even you got some unsaved people around you. Pursue peace with them. You may not be able to get it, but pursue peace with them. And holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. If we don't have the holiness that comes through Jesus Christ, we will not see the Lord. If we are devoid of the holiness of all acts of sin, we will still see the Lord. But the one that we cannot see the Lord without is the kind of holiness that comes through Jesus. And that's what he's talking about here. Don't let people try and get you the idea that uh, what he's trying to say is you have to have a perfect lifestyle and get rid of all sin in order for you to see the Lord. That is not what he's teaching. So pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Need a... Did I not put verse 15 here? There it is. I thought I put it in here. Somewhere. Yeah, there we go. 
Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. This word here for looking, it takes basically the, the, the generic word for look, and it puts the word epi in front of it, which means to oversee, to be circumspectful in your looking. Have a, have a big view of what's going on out there. To be aware, to look diligently, to take oversight. This word is used twice in the New Testament in the verb form. Noun form, um, a little bit more than that. But here in the verb form, it's used twice. Here and in 1 Peter 5, 2, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers. It's translated overseers there. Not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. So he says here, looking carefully, having that circumspectful look, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Now, where does the grace of God come from? Does the grace of God come through the law? No. No. Grace of God comes through? Jesus. So again, he's making a comparison here between the law and Jesus. Because the grace of God does not come from the law, which many of these people wanted to pursue or go back to. That's not where the grace of God is. The grace of God is through Jesus. The law doesn't have grace to it. One of the points that he made early on. So looking careful, lest any of you fall short of the grace of God. Which means here to fall back from. It uses the preposition apo. Meaning they once had obtained what they are falling from. You ever heard people who say that you, you can't lose your salvation? No, apparently that word, wording right there would, would uh, tend to contradict that. It is present tense. Which means the process was going on at the time he's writing this. To fall back from means to, to fall back from something that you had one time attained. So looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up causing trouble. And by this many become defiled. Now those over here in the worship team, we went through uh, Brother Rick's book and he spent a good bit of time on the root of bitterness. And this is quite extensive in, in his covering of it. Um, what was the name of that book? You can, uh, you can get over it. So if any of you want to go back there and pick up that book, it's, uh, it's well worthwhile, well worth the time. But lest any root of bitterness spring up cause trouble. Now he talks about this thing spring up and it's going to cause trouble. So all of a sudden this root of bitterness is, is down there and it's inner inner weaving into all aspects of your life. That's what roots do. They start out shallow, but then they start to, to reach in and to grab things. That's why around your house, you've got to be careful of certain trees because those certain trees have very aggressive roots. And if they're by your house, those roots will get into the foundation and they'll start to break it apart. And you don't know it because it's all going on underneath the ground until it's too late and now you've got a problem. So there's certain trees that you don't put near your house because of, they have that aggressive root structure. We have to be careful of this because he's saying this root of bitterness, it gets on the inside of you and then it just springs up. All of a sudden you're going about your life just fine and then bam, here it comes. That root of bitterness, it comes, it springs up and it causes trouble. Guess who it causes trouble for? Primarily it's going to cause trouble for you, but most people who have bitterness in them cause trouble for other people. They don't just, they're not just content to have trouble themselves. 
they got to go out and cause trouble with other people. Now this word bitterness, it's an inward attitude that produces a scowl on one face. This is what, what uh, one note on it was. An inward attitude that produces a scowl on one's face. It is an inward attitude so powerful so as to have an outward effect on your appearance and disposition. That's what bitterness is. It is such a powerful force that you cannot harbor this on the inside of you without it coming out on your face. I mean, you've seen this. How many times do you look at people and say, man, that person is bitter? <laughs> How do you know? It just shows on their face. It shows on their disposition. It shows in everything that there is about them that this is a, this is a bitter person. There's a root of bitterness. Then, of course, by root, it means it started small, but it started to, to take over. It started to move into things. It started to, to get into this area, and then it started to get into this area, and then it just kept on going, and it starts to get into this area. The, for, the more areas it gets into, the harder it is, it seems, to get rid of it. He's telling you, get rid of it early on. Rick Brenner had this note about it. He says, irritation turns into anger. Anger into wrath. Wrath into bitterness. Bitterness into resentment. And resentment into unforgiveness. You choose whether these foul attitudes and emotions take up residency in your heart or are booted out the door. You choose. God does not make that choice for you. The devil does not make that choice for you. You choose it. You decide. And you've got some people in your life. I bet you've got some people in your life right now that when they enter the room, something comes up on the inside of you. And you get bitter. Or you get angry. Or there's some resentment that comes up. This is not good. Because he says, if it's there, it will cause you trouble. You need to get rid of it. Going back to the earlier verse, pursue peace. You got to pursue peace. If you got bitterness, you're not pursuing peace. You're pursuing something else. You got to get rid of it. As far as it goes with you, you got to make sure that you pursue peace because that bitterness will come up and you will be found to actually come against someone that God has a calling and a purpose for and you are a hindrance in their life. Because of your bitter attitude. We've got to make sure we take care of it. It's going to cause trouble for me. It's going to cause trouble for other people too. But we've got to start getting it out. I've got to start weeding that thing out. It's got, it's got roots. You know, cancer is a good uh, indication of this. You've got some cancer, they call it benign. It's all balled up. and All they've got to do is open you up, take that thing out, and it's gone. But then they have other cancers that they call, or cancerous tumors that they call malignant. And those are the ones that they send out roots. And they can go in, they can try and get all the roots out, but if they don't get every single one of them out, then the, the new condition is worse than the former. And then they, they can't operate on that. I've heard people talk about those, those tumors. If they have a malignant one, they can try and operate on it one time, and if they don't get it that uh, as far as medical science is concerned, the patient will be, be dead sometime, sometime soon. Well, see, this is what's happening with bitterness. We just don't realize it. It's killing us spiritually. 
It's causing you to have problems in your walk. There are now obstacles all over. And what was lame before is now being brought into a place the Word of God called a dislocated. You went from a place where it was just a little bit banged up to now it's all kinds of banged up. And it's all kinds of hurt. And that's this not good for you. This is a bad, bad situation. He's trying to get them to realize this. Now, in their particular situation, they got people that are coming against them, speaking against them in the city, telling people, these are people, Jesus. They're not, uh, they're not real Jews. And they stir up other people against them. And you can see where people begin to get angry and even bitter at this. And he says, no, no, no. Don't be letting that get in there. You pursue peace with them. As much as you can, you pursue peace with them. If they don't want to accept it, well, you just go on. But don't let that root of bitterness get in you. Keep that thing out. Because it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a problem. It will spring up. When you don't want it to, it's all of a sudden going to spring up. And people that are bitter, they're going along, they're having fun, fun in their Christian walk, so to speak. And then, all of a sudden, here comes this situation. Here comes this person. And then bitterness rises up. Their face changes. Their attitude changes. Their communication changes. Because this bitterness has grabbed hold of them. What you've got to realize is, I need to take care of that. I need to get out of it. Now, God is the best surgeon there is. He knows how to get rid of any root. He's not limited. He'll help us out. He also says, he goes on to read the rest of that verse. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up, cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. Do you realize that if we hang on to this bitterness on the inside, it says we become defiled. Now that is not a good condition. Does that totally disqualify you from, from heaven? I don't know. I'd rather not find out. I'd rather not get there and say, well, that I have too much bitterness in me to get in. That's not a good time to find out. Get rid of it all. If he says get rid of it, then get rid of it. We've got to make sure. Remember, he, he talked about this in the previous verses. Don't despise the chastening of the Lord. When God comes in and begins to speak to me about things, don't despise it. And if I have bitterness on the inside of me, God is going to come and he's going to talk to me about it. Because you are bitter towards that person. And if you're listening to him, he'll tell you this. That is a son of mine. That is a daughter of mine. And you are bitter to that person. That's not good. That's a bad situation to be in. Don't come against God's kids. He doesn't like it. So he says many become defiled. He says many. He didn't say few. Many become defiled. It would seem that bitterness is a little bit more common than maybe we might think. Are we on guard against this? Just think about this yourself. Are there people that, have, that I have seen in my life cause me to be bitter? And what am I doing about that? Well, we, gotta, we have to be on guard ourselves. Now, that if you look at Jesus, Jesus, when he dealt with the Pharisees, you might think that he was bitter in some of the ways that he talked to them, in some of the ways that he dealt with them. But he was firm. 
You can be loving and be firm. But it doesn't mean that every time that you're, that you're firm, that you're loving. I gotta make sure that I, I love them. See, Jesus loved people. And he spoke to them in ways to, to help them. They were resistant sometimes to his gentle words, so he used stronger ones. And if they're resistant to those, then he used stronger ones yet. But here's how you can tell whether you're bitter or not. If they came up to you, and maybe they had something to repent for, would you receive it? Or would you begin to say, well, I'm sure that they're just repenting because... See, I judge what, uh, what they want. Now, this, is, this is one thing, you know, if you watch people in the news media, you can tell the bitterness that is in them real easy. Well, whoever it is they're talking about. They can be talking about Christians. They can be talking about Christian bitter, uh, business people. They can be talking about politicians who don't the, the particular things that they, they hold to. Whatever it might be. Here's what you, how you can tell when they're, that they're bitter. When they start to tell you what they think. You ever heard that people do that? They get on there and they're doing a, a supposed report about a certain person. They may be doing about a Christian business person and they'll tell you the reason they did that is because they think and they'll tell you this and most of the time they've never talked to them. Never even asked them. How many times do people in the media anymore do interviews and never even talk to the people that they're interviewing or supposed to be reporting on? I heard a couple of people they've been they've been screaming about the, the Twitter the, the Twitter universe that a lot of times what, what reporters do is they sit at their desk and they read Twitter. And whenever they read on Twitter, if somebody says something that somebody said, they just take it and go. They don't ever call the person and get the story clarified because they're lazy. I think this one person called them lazy. Well, you see, if, if, I am, if I look at something that Phyllis does and I go over to Miss Ethel and I say to Miss Ethel, well, Phyllis did this because she's thinking this. Now, I say I can pick those two out because they know each other real well. I know the first thing out of Miss Ethel's mouth will be, well, have you asked her about it? Because <laughs> I know Phyllis and she wouldn't say that. <laughs> but see, because that'd be qualified there. But you see, if they didn't have that relationship with each other, they didn't know each other, that, and, that, and I said that to, to Ethel, well, I could be sowing my own bitterness inside of her. And her, without ever talking to Phyllis, could already be bitter by the time she meets her. Because of the things that I've sown. And we, we shouldn't ought to be doing this. Because now the Lord's going to hold me accountable for this particular thing. I was listening to, I think Brother Keith just uh, repeated this story. But um, he, he uh, somebody came and they asked him about a certain minister. And he was hesitant to give a, a, refer, a good referral for it. And I forget what the reason was, was why. But he had a little hesitancy to him. And the Lord rebuked him for it. And he says, your hesitancy is going to cause them to not invite them out. And how do you know that I didn't have a purpose for them coming out to that church? Mm. So that's the standard that God holds us to. Don't be doing it. If I don't know something about somebody, I don't say it. I got to make sure that I talk to them. I got to make sure that I, I interact with them. If I don't have that opportunity to interact and get the clear story, I generally let it go. 
it may even bother me. <laughs> we were talking about that a little bit on Sunday. That if I, if I go and repeat something that I feel is true without ever checking out the truth, I can become a proclaimer of lies. False truths. And basically I'm doing the bidding of the Satan. And then thinking I'm doing the bidding of God. We've got to make sure that we never go around and repeat things that are not true. We haven't checked out. It is my responsibility to make sure I check it out. It isn't my responsibility to go around and tell everybody what, what Sister Phyllis thinks. That's not, my, that's not my job. My job is to tell people what God thinks, what the Word of God says. If you want to find out what Miss Phyllis thinks, go ask her. She'll tell you. Yeah, that's right. She'll tell you what she thinks of that. But when you hear those people in the news media and they say, well, the reason that they did this is because... But they never asked them. And then people will hear it. Well, that's why they did it. I know that's why they did it. And you can see that bitterness that comes up inside of them because you try and tell them, well, no, they didn't do it that because look at this. Oh, no, no, no. Don't you try and tell me that. I know. You see, that lie has gotten a hold of them. Don't be a part of that lie. You've got to love the truth. We were talking about that on Sunday. You've got to love the truth. The enemy loves lies. God loves the truth. If you're going to pursue the heart of God, then you've got to pursue truth. That's got to be your number one thing. And if I don't know it to be true, then I don't say it. Brother Hagin, he, he told us about a story that he had. You probably all remember this one. That um, uh, some ministers came over and they were talking about another minister. And they said to him, so-and-so did this, and I don't know if he was familiar with it, but they told him, they caught him up on what had, had gone on. And so Brother Hagin just said, well, I guess if he did that, he was wrong. And then it just went on. And the Lord rebuked him. And he told him, he says, now first off, he says, you don't know what happened in that situation. And secondly, you don't know if you would have done any better. And I think he said something along the lines of, how dare you speak against one of my servants? So I remember that story when he told it to us and I've seen it a number of other times he's, and other times he's related, some of the books he's put it into. But I'll tell you what, I, it, I saw him tell the story and whew, I, I could tell this really made an impression on him. And it made an, The way he told the story made an impression on me. I try to make sure I don't, don't go out and tell stories about other people. To sow that bitterness into others. To confirm those things. Don't be doing it. And here in Hebrews, he's telling you, this is important. This is something you need to do. Look carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness spring up, cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. Now here's the, here's the kicker when you're looking at this. He's talking about first off the grace of God and then the bitterness. You know, you cannot fall into bitterness unless you release the grace of God in your life. Because in order for me to be bitter against another believer, I must not walk in grace towards them. And if I don't walk in grace towards them, what does that close the door on for God to do with me? See, we've got to be careful with this stuff. Remember that story that, that um, Jesus told 
when he, I'm trying to get the details, just went right out of my, my head here. Um, when he talks about the, the log and the speck, mm-hmm. you know, and you're, they're removing the, the speck out of your brother's eyes and you got the log out of your own. Mm-hmm. Well, see, the problem with that is I have pronounced judgment on the one for which I'm removing the speck out of, which means if I have that same thing going on in my life, I've already pronounced judgment on myself. How many times have we with other Christians and we have said, well, they shouldn't be, they shouldn't, and God shouldn't, and they shouldn't be allowed, and we pass judgment on other Christians all the time. And yet, when I do it, I'm also passing judgment on me. Now, we all like those verses that talk about, you know, the, the curse causeless shall not, shall not come. And that if a, if a curse comes out from somebody, it's going to bounce off of me and go right back on them. Yeah, but it also works in, uh, for me as well. If I start pronouncing curses upon other people, and I start pronouncing judgment upon other people, guess what's coming back on me? So you see, if you've got other brothers and sisters that are walking in a way of sin, your responsibility is to help them out. Love covers a multitude of sin, doesn't expose it. We've got to get out there with other believers and, and help them out. How many of you are glad that some people picked you up when you were young in the Lord and you just did some stuff that you shouldn't have done and they, they helped you to get over it and not, uh, not be walking in that? Well, let's see, that's our role too. I've got to make sure that I help other people. I'm not helping them if I go around and tell them what they, what they ought to do. I, I'm getting myself in a place of judgment and bitterness will get hold of me. And it's going to cause me trouble. <clears throat> then look at this again. And by this, many become defiled. Boy, I tell you what, I don't want to become defiled. I don't want to be in a place where def- any kind of defilement is in me. So I got to stay passionate about it. I got to keep walking in the grace of God, which means I got to extend grace to other people mm-hmm. so that gra- God extends grace to me. I don't extend judgment on other people. Because I don't want God to put that same judgment upon me. I don't pronounce punishments on other people or declarations on other people because I don't want God to do that with me. When I'm in private and God shows me something, I'll help them. I'll love them and I'll show them this is what the Word of God is, is, is saying for you. But we've got to be careful. I put this in your outline for you. But be one who walks with strength and certainty, with a watchful eye on what could get in your way. That's where we need to be. Have that strength and certainty. Don't be one who's lame. He says, strengthen, strengthen, strengthen the hands that hang down. It's up to me. Some people make it a prayer to God. Oh God, strengthen my hands that hang down. No, that's not what it's saying. Talking about you. Strengthen the hands that hang down. And the feeble knees, it's up to me to strengthen them. And then get out there, make your path straight. Get rid of those obstacles that the enemy is constantly trying to put in your way. Constantly trying to pull you into. He's trying to pull you into anger. He's trying to pull you into malice. He's trying to pull you into judgment. He's trying to pull you into bitterness. He's trying to pull you into unforgiveness. He's trying to pull you into untruth. 
and to be a speaker of untruth. He's trying to pull you into these things. Be circumspectful when you're looking and watch out. I know the devil's tactics. I know what he's trying to do. And here he is. He's doing it right there because I can see it. And we, and we just stop. I think I related this story to you once time before. This is a lot of years ago. Uh, my son was, was, uh, young, still in high school somewhere. I don't even know what year he was in high school. And we were, he just, he and I, we were walking around the mall. I don't know if the girls were off shopping somewhere or what it was, but it's just he and I. And, um, I'm pretty sure it was somewhere around the Christmas season because they had all those kiosks all, all around. And, uh, you know, when they had those kiosks and they have those things for the lotions, and it seems like they always have, you know, a, a woman in there in, the, in the, the lotion things. And she's out there trying to pull people in. And so we were up there on the balcony, the second level. And we we're looking down onto the first level. And that's where all the kiosks were. And we were watching this woman work. And I saw her go out there and she grabbed this big old guy. And I, I was, was talking to Christian. I says, now watch her. You see how she's pulling this guy in? How she's flirting with him? How she's touching him. How she's, she, she's trying to make him think he's got a chance with her. <laughs> and I even said it to him. I'm pretty sure I said it to him this one. I think I did. Um, I said, you know that guy's got no shot. <laughs> but he's thinking. And she's leading him on to make that. And that, and that maybe, you know, if I buy this product. <laughs> and I said, now you watch that. Because that's how some ladies operate. That's what some of them will do. Now see, if, if it was a daughter, I'd have to be talking to her about men who would be trying to do that. <laughs> Not just trying to say all women are doing that, but you know, how I was talking to a boy. <laughs> Young man. I need to be telling him about, about some of those, those things that will go on. Because uh, there are some women out there that will do that. There are some guys out there that will do that too. Not just women. But for him... That's all I cared about him being focused on. <laughs> and I just, we just sat up there and we watched it. We watched the whole thing. I watched, we watched his face. I talked about his face. I talked about his response and what he was doing. And they couldn't hear us. We were way out of their, their hearing range. But we could see everything that was going on. Be circumspect, circumspectful. Be watchful. Because you see the enemy is putting, putting these things out there. He's trying to trip us up. He's trying to pull us into these, these things. Don't fall into it. Get the obstacles out of the way. It's up to us to do it. No, no, that's, that's a trap the devil set up. Let's get that out of here. That's, we, don't even, we don't need that in there at all. Get that out of the way. I see that obstacle. And get these things removed. Walk with strength. Walk with certainty. This is where God wants me to go. This is how God wants me to get there. And you keep a watchful eye on what the devil wants to throw your way through people or whatever means he wants to try and throw it your way. And the Word of God tells us you will be victorious. You will overcome. You don't have to keep going around with weak knees, being lame. You don't have to. You can be strengthened. And he's here to do it for us. Father, we thank you for the strength that you give us. I thank you, Father, that we do not have to go through this life lame, not able to, to walk, not able to, to get around that our arms and our hands can be lifted high because we have strength in them. And we can do what you said to do. 
We can function the way you said to function. And bitterness will have no place in us. And what the enemy desires to throw at us as snares, we will see before they ever get there. And we will not fall for it. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.